If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another show of In the Details with yours truly, Karen Allen. I'm here today uh, with a gentleman that, honestly, Reggie, I'm excited to dive into various layers of your story, but uh, today I have Reggie Fius Ame, who is retired president and uh, COO of Nintendo and author of a new book, Disrupting the Game. What interests me, Reggie, is that you were able to hold various leadership roles that span across not just a variety of companies, but a diverse spread of industries as well, from Procter & Gamble to Guinness, uh, Pizza Hut, VH1, and then eventually Nintendo. I, I might have missed some in between there. Um, but I'm curious, uh, you know, what was the ultimate plan for your career? And if we could start there, I think that would be a good jumping off point. Well, first, thanks for having me. You know, as I think back and consider what the ultimate plan was, for me, I set my sights early that I wanted to run a business. I wanted to uh, bring all of my varied skills to bear in running a business. What's interesting is, you know, it, it took a number of twists and turns for me to get there. As an undergraduate student, my focus was on finance and accounting. And I saw my path being one of international finance and that was going to be how I would eventually run a company. But as I was getting ready to graduate from Cornell University, a company, Procter & Gamble, contacted me to interview for a role in their prestigious brand management program, a program that typically would only bring in candidates with an MBA. So here I am with my undergraduate degree not knowing a lot about this program, but the more I looked into it, the more, more I saw how it fit my ultimate goal. I, I would learn early on all of the factors involved in running a business, everything from product development and, and engineering and manufacturing to the marketing and positioning of products, understanding the P&L. And so it, it really was a wonderful entry point but one that was completely unplanned. And, and that's why as I speak with young people as well as even executives thinking about a, a mid-career change, the point I make to them is be open to alternatives, be open to avenues that you may not have previously considered, but as they open up to you, if they fit your long-term path, if they fit your long-term goal, be open to it and to, uh, to at least uh, go into that opportunity with eyes wide open and thinking about whether it makes sense for you. Absolutely. You know, for some reason, we think we have to have this complete blueprint <laughs> and we have to follow very specific steps. And sometimes it could be someone else has laid the blueprint out in front of us or or we just determined that that is important before we take any action. But I found that it's less important to make sure you have all of the perfect steps in order and more important to learn how to trust yourself. Because as you just mentioned, you never know what opportunity could present itself. And if you trust yourself to get into that space and make the best of it, then you have now unleashed limitless possibilities that weren't even on the horizon for you. I, I completely agree. The, the one thing I, I would modify your, your statement in terms of trusting yourself 
is that I would also say that you have to trust yourself as you think about what that long-term vision or that ultimate goal is. You know, I, I do believe that minimally you need to have a sense of where you want to go, a sense of what it is that you're trying to accomplish. But absolutely, in the interim steps, you have to be open to alternatives. You have to be open to ideas and pathways that didn't initially present themselves. And, and I think having that type of flexibility and being able to navigate at times that ambiguity separates people who do achieve their long-term success versus maybe those who don't. Do you have, um, I don't know if it would be a habit or maybe just an, an internal guide that helps you to navigate uncertainty that you have uh, refined over the years? You know, wh what I would say is this. Uh, I, I am a person who believes in having a vision. You know, even in my retirement, I have a clear vision. And that vision for me is to uh, enrich and engage with the next generation of leaders, to, to take the opportunity to share my learning, my journey with others to help them as they navigate through their own journey. I also think deeply around, okay, what are the different parts of that? And in understanding those different parts, it helps me deal with, if you will, the in-between. It, it helps me understand that I, I may not know every single step but if I'm clear on the long-term journey, if I have educated myself on some of the key elements, that I will be just fine navigating through the ambiguity and getting to where I want to go. It sounds like you are very focused, not just on the work that you're doing, but the person that you want to be, the legacy that you want to leave. What kind of legacy have you thought about it? I used to, you mentioned in retirement, you know, enriching lives. What does the legacy look like for you? You know, my, my legacy, I, I, I believe that I have completed one business legacy and I am on a journey to a personal legacy. The, the business legacy I left is certainly the, the success I had over the 15 years I was with Nintendo. And you know, what, what's important to remember is that when I joined Nintendo in 2003, the company was in a very difficult position. You know, at that point in time, Sony had the leading uh, product on the marketplace, the PlayStation 2 that was dominating the video game industry. Uh, Nintendo was also competing with a new entrant into the space, Microsoft, with its Xbox product. And so here is this company headquartered in Kyoto, Japan, dealing with two extremely large, agile competitors. And the company needed to set a direction and to navigate how they would differentiate themselves and how they would be successful. And I was fortunate to partner with the global president, a gentleman by the name of Satoru Iwata, as well as arguably the world's greatest game creator uh, working for Nintendo, Shigeru Miyamoto. And you know, the three of us were able to navigate the company to some massive successful products in the marketplace, the Nintendo DS, the Wii, now the Nintendo Switch. So the business legacy is one of driving innovation, driving disruption in the video game space, launching these 
successful products. Also navigating some products that weren't as successful. Um, and you know, leaving Nintendo three years ago on very solid footing with the Nintendo Switch, which continues to do massively well in the marketplace. Now the personal legacy is one where, you know, through whether it's board service, whether it's time on the Cornell University campus and, and other university campuses, through my book, through public speaking, now the personal legacy is how do I help that next generation? How do I how do I enable them to learn from my my mistakes as well as the positive opportunities that I've taken advantage of? How do I do that as effectively as I can? Yes, you know, that's what it's all about is just helping the next generation to be better and live better and do good work um, because we have shared experiences, even if we are um, separated by time, right? And so one of the things that you mentioned just a few moments ago was the twists and turns of your professional experience. And and I know your last role uh, before retirement was with Nintendo, but as I mentioned, you had a lot of twists and turns before you got to that point and, and your tenure there. And I wonder what advice you would give to someone who's navigating the twists and turns as they look for their own professional legacy. So the, the pieces of insight I would share is that first, I think it's incredibly important to understand what motivates you, right? What is it that, that uh, presents itself to you and motivates you to you know, address a business problem or to grow a business or grow an organization. I was fortunate to learn that for me, the answer is pace. I love pace. I love challenge. I, I love that situation where you have a business or an organization that that needs help and needs help immediately. And, you know, that drove my transition from Procter & Gamble into the restaurant industry, because the restaurant industry has an incredible amount of pace. You know how your business is doing by looking at the register receipts from the day before. You can launch new products very quickly. That The pace of that industry really spoke to innately who I am and the types of challenges that I enjoy. So that's that's the first insight. The second insight is as you enter a new business or a new industry, you need to have intellectual curiosity. You need to ask questions. You, you can't go into a new situation believing you have all the answers. And so having that intellectual curiosity to spend time with people throughout the organization, to ask difficult questions, to learn, to learn about the business, I, I think is critically important. Um, in order to navigate from one industry to the next. And then the third piece I would highlight is, at least for me, I believed that I could accomplish great things by shaping a culture and shaping an organization that was motivated to, uh, to overcome obstacles and to drive achievement in the marketplace. I placed a huge focus on developing my teams, uh, uh, communicating a vision of where it was that we were trying to go. So investing in people with all, all the time and energy you have, for me, was my, you know the third critical factor 
in my success and being able to navigate all the different industries that I participated in. Right now, there's a huge, a lot of conversation around investing in people. I mean, that is right now at the center of conversations for leaders. I mean, I'm in the conferences. I'm in the rooms with them. We are having so many conversations around culture and, and people. Tell us how you invested in people. You know, for me, uh, you know, I found it important to first, you know, be clear in the vision of where we were going and, and making sure that everyone in the organization understood what it was that we we're trying to do. And so whether it was group meetings or individual meetings, whether it was my number two deputy or the newest member of the team, it was investing to make sure that everyone understands what it is we're trying to do, the challenges at hand. The second piece was to, to really invest in the organization, training, uh, you know, development opportunities. You know, I, I found that to be critically important and, and you really need to do it uh, with a full belief that it will pay off in the long run versus just looking at it as a short, a short term expense, a short term uh, expenditure that, uh, that maybe or maybe not you, you fundamentally believe in. For me, I made it clear that I believed in the development of my organization and I invested heavily to drive that forward. And then the last piece that I would highlight in terms of you know, real specifics is that you need to hold the organization accountable against the behaviors you value, uh, against the activity you're trying to do. And here I'll tell a story. When I joined Nintendo, uh, the company really had not made a lot of investments in people and people development. And so here I am coming in to run the sales and marketing organization initially. And you know, I made it clear the behaviors that I valued. I made it clear that I expected the organization to deliver against these behaviors. And I had one person working for me who was technically brilliant, you know, un understood his area of the business exceptionally well but was a horrible people manager. And, and it's a situation that had festered over a long period of time. And you know, my approach was to have that clear and direct conversation that these behaviors needed to change, that, that he needed to dramatically improve his people management capability. Otherwise, you know, he would be moved into a role that had no people management uh, responsibilities at all because he was that bad. No one had ever had that conversation clearly, directly with this person before. And unfortunately, his negative behaviors had calcified and he wasn't able to, uh, to improve. And he decided to leave the company uh, as he saw that I was going to fulfill my commitment and move him uh, off of his current role into a role where he wouldn't be able to damage people the way he was damaging people at that time. And so it, 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 I set an example for the organization that I walked the walk, that I was clear in expectations, that I would take action against behaviors that were incompatible with the direction that I set. And, uh, and those types of examples work. You know, they, they, they let the organization know that you're serious. You have such an emphasis on, on learning. I, I love that. And I'm hearing so many inflections, if you will, of a growth mindset. 
which is my area, which I love very much, but it's only becoming part of language um, in corporate America, maybe in the last five years, I would say, um, to really hear about that in these conversations about how are we taking care of our people and showing up for them, and also how are we helping them grow with this emphasis on learning. But it sounds like you've adopted that way before everyone else has. Were you familiar with growth mindset during your time there? You, you know, um, as you as you yourself say, you know, the, the terms are new, but for me, the behaviors are old, right? And so, you know, at, at the age of about twenty five, I was a people manager. I was managing uh, at the time a group of three or four employees. You know, some of these employees older than I was, uh, some of these employees with that MBA that I didn't have. And so for me, having a mindset of of growing the organization in, in you know helping others improve, taking care of the staff, it's something that was ingrained in me during my time at Procter and Gamble. and and you know that, organization, you know, only promoted from within during my time with the company. And so it really was a mentality that we had to grow the organization. We needed to have people with great skills because that was our pool of talent. And if we didn't have a great pool of talent, then long-term the organization was doomed. So I was fortunate to have those types of experiences early in my career. And then as I transitioned to Pizza Hut and, and to Guinness, I always found myself you know, needing to reinforce this mentality of, you know, we are an organization, we have a culture, here's what it's going to be. And here is how we will leverage our culture, leverage all of our uniqueness in order to solve the tough problems we have in front of us. So. I guess I was practicing a growth mindset all the way back in the early 80s, even though that's not necessarily what we called it. Yes. Well, evidence that it is a tried and true practice uh, that crosses over over decades. But I am thinking about how you talked uh, about your time entering Nintendo and it was tough. It was, you know, you walked into a tough situation, but can you describe a challenge, uh, whether it's from your time there or just a time in your career, but I think there, there's so much um, wisdom packed into these kind of moments. So can you describe a challenge that then transformed into an opportunity? You know, uh, it, there were there were many, many challenges. <laughs> there's many for all of us. But <laughs> exactly. But I, I, I let me... Uh, let me highlight, uh, you know, a situation that uh, came about very early in my tenure with Nintendo, and just a, a couple pieces of background. Uh, the the video game industry has a big global event uh, every late spring. It's called E3. It's the time when all of the major companies in the video game business make presentations on their new products and the upcoming launches and, and everyone's vying for both media attention as well as consumer attention. And as I had uh, reviewed Nintendo's performance during these, these big E3 conventions, you know, the company had not always performed well in terms of 
the communication of what the company was trying to do. Well, I, I walked into the role with the benefit of having a lot of experience in communicating at these types of big events. And so I, I knew I had personal skills in order to drive the communication, but we need to make sure that the messaging was right. And so I, I walked into a situation where we had to create the messaging for the company and I needed to do it in short order. Uh, even though I was new to the business, even though you know I didn't have the benefit of history, I had to take charge and to shape a communication approach and then deliver the goods in terms of making the key presentation that would have a positive impact on the business. And so that was, that was the challenge uh, and the opportunity. Uh, I was able to give a presentation uh, that, that kicked off by saying, my name is Reggie. I'm about kicking ass and taking names and we're about making games. And that presentation is historic now <laughs> in the video game industry. And so it really was uh, recognizing the situation, recognizing the work that needed to be done. Nintendo needed to you know, reframe its approach. It needed to communicate clearly that it was now on a different tact than uh, where the company had been before. And we were fortunate that we had a, a plethora of great products that we highlighted in this press conference. Um, and we were we were able at that point to begin changing hearts and minds in what it was that we're trying to do. So, you know, we're always presented with unique challenges and unique opportunities. And it is how we how we internalize them and how we step up to take advantage of those situations. And uh, I was I was fortunate to be able to do that in that time. Incredible, because the good kind of stress actually forces us just outside of our comfort zone. And it gives us the space um, to turn something hard into an opportunity. I love how you met that moment. Uh, so I'll tell you, I am not a gamer. So I hope this is a safe space to admit that. <laughs> uh, but I do remember when we came out and it was so much fun because it was a game that got us on our feet. I don't know where we is today, but I do know <laughs> that we have an old console that my son and nieces and nephews still play. And I mean, this thing's probably over 10 years old. So I say this uh, with all you know love and respect, I feel like wherever it is today, it is still a huge success and a fun piece in our house. <laughs> but I wonder, you know, what were some of those things? Because that seemed very revolutionary. You know, you're, you are now giving a gamer an opportunity to use their entire body to engage in this virtual world. I wonder, you know, what led to that? Like, what led to that success? And did you anticipate it being as successful as it was? You know, certainly the, the, the hope was that it would be um, the success that it turned out to be. You know, what I would tell you is that as that product was being developed, the video game industry really was at a crossroads. So you had uh, Sony and Microsoft believing that, you know, if, if you just made the games look a little better, if you just made them run a little faster, that that would be enough to satisfy the gaming industry. Nintendo saw the challenge completely differently. 
Nintendo saw a challenge that video games were becoming a bit insular, right? That there were they were uh, too few people playing video games and that the company wanted to expand the gaming universe. And in order to do that, the company believed that the, the controller needed to be simplified, that gaming styles needed to be expanded, and that by doing so, they could innovate in a way that its competition could not. And that was the, the thinking that gave rise to the Wii Remote, right? You remember that one-handed remote that oh, you would I be able to it. swing? Oh, I still have it. We still have them. <laughs> you know, you, you swing it uh, like you're swinging a tennis racket to play a tennis game, or you take that batting stance and, and swing it like a baseball bat to play a baseball game. But it was very intentional to lower the boundaries for people to uh, engage with video games. It was very intentional to make the input accessible. And it was very intentional to create content that had never been seen before. And so all of those key innovations uh, were well thought through. Certainly, you know, the fact that the system sold over 100 million units globally, there were almost a billion uh, pieces of software sold for the system. So an incredible success, but it was based on, you know, the core strategies and the core insights that the company had at the time. And, and it worked, right? I mean, you were the target, right? Someone yes. who typically <laughs> would not play a video game, but found it to be so much fun, so easy to engage in that you were pulled into uh, pulled into the video gaming experience. <laughs> I will tell you a funny story. My nephew, who is 10, and he is a gamer. I mean, he just, he lights up by all of the different places you can go in, in the experience. And uh, so his Wii at home started to fail after a long time, right? And he was so sad, but even though the screen was like showing black and white or was pixelated, he played that thing until it stopped. And then he said, I don't know where I can find this, but if I have to fix it, I will. <laughs> so even a 10 year old uh, has enjoyed that experience of Wii. You know, technology is, continues to evolve at rapid pace. Um, so much so where they're creating, you know, alternate universes in ways that I think gamers have had the opportunity to experience that long before someone like myself. Are there any concerns that you hold about the future of technology or gaming? You know, I, I, I think concern maybe is too strong a word, but I, I would say this, as any technology advances, there needs to be clear consideration to the potential issues or the potential challenges that the technology will uh, surface. So just as an example, uh, everyone's talking about the metaverse, uh, even though you know, there, there may not be alignment as to what exactly the metaverse is. But I, I describe the metaverse as a, a, a digital experience that you have with real world friends. Um, these experiences can uh, take on the shape of games or concerts or other types of events. Uh, in my vision, you, know, you have the ability to alter uh, the experience as you play the game, but the impact you have is persistent. So imagine 
walking along the beach and you're leaving footprints and you see other footprints that have been left by other players in the experience. Uh, your avatar has meaning and, and you can, you can uh, dress up your avatar uh, in any way you like. So in, in that vision of the metaverse, you know, so what happens if someone comes up to you and starts harassing you? How, how is that navigated? How is that controlled? How do you take control of who you're interacting with? You know, th these are issues that we've had to deal with from an internet perspective. But now as new technology comes to bear, we're going to have to think about all of these issues. You know, so again, in, in, in my example, uh, I've invested my time and effort to make a sandcastle on that, on that beautiful sandy beach. Well, how do I keep someone from destroying my sandcastle, right? And, and it no longer being there, right? All of these elements need to be thought through as the overall experience is being thought through. So, you know, I, I, I do believe that as we go down this path, the companies will need to be incredibly thoughtful. Uh, they will need to really uh, challenge themselves to put in place the right protocols and the right systems in order for these experiences to be a safe place, for these experiences to be fun, for these experiences to have a positive impact versus a potentially negative impact. That's gonna be critically important. Yes, and if we could just add some education for the parents out there who don't know how to navigate this. That's coming from a very personal space because technology is just, it's moving so quickly. It can be very hard to keep up with. Um, so I just stick to like, I don't know, NBA 2K with my kid. That's about, I've asked him if we could get Super Mario Kart too. So we, ha we have that coming up. So let's talk about your book, Disrupting the Game. Tell us about this book. What was the vision for it? And, and what is your hope for the readers? Sure. You know, so Disrupting the Game from the Bronx to the Top of Nintendo is a business memoir, right? I, I tell stories from throughout my life uh, and share with the reader my personal journey. But with each story, I have uh, sections called, so what? As in, what's the so what of the story? What's the, the, the so what lesson that I hope the reader takes away? And these are peppered throughout the book. It's not simply something that's at the end of a chapter. It's peppered throughout the book as I complete a, a particular story. And I, I built this book in that way specifically because as I've read business memoirs, it seems like it's two different books stitched together, right? The, the front half is the person's life story and then the second half are a number of lessons that, and principles that they're trying to share. And I just didn't like that format. I, I thought that by uh, bringing all of this together, the story and the lesson, that it would be more compelling for the reader. And I'm, I'm just so fortunate. Uh, I've, I've received uh, a lot of notes uh, through, you know, variety of, of social media. You know, people have really enjoyed the so what lessons that I share. Uh, they, they really have found it to be, um, to be thoughtful and profound, which, which really touches me. And in the end, that's my hope with the book, right? My, my hope is whether it's a year from now, 
five years from now, 10 years from now. My hope is that I come across people who say, Reggie, I read your book and here is how I applied this particular so what lesson and here's how it helped me and thank you, right? If, if I have that type of experience, then you know, I, I will have achieved my goal. And, and you know, so far, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed that it's a bestseller on, on the Wall Street journalists. Uh, it's got over 200 five-star ratings. I mean, the, the reaction has been really positive, which is just so gratifying. Well, congratulations. I have no doubt that you will have many of those experiences of people coming up to you and, and telling you how that book has impacted their life. I know all of those words on those pages are very dear to your heart, but before we close, do you have maybe one favorite lesson that you would like to, uh, from the book that you would like to leave with our listeners? You know, so I'll, I'll share a lesson uh, from uh, early in my life. And uh, I'm, I'm a first generation American. Uh, my parents emigrated to the United States uh, from Haiti, uh, escaping the brutal dictatorship of Francois Duvalier in the 50s. And, you know, they they came to the U.S. having, you know, a high education in Haiti, but they came to the U.S. Uh, not knowing any English. So they had to learn English. They took on menial jobs. We We lived in a five-story walk-up tenement building in the Bronx uh, that was, you know, infested with vermin and, and roaches. Uh, and, and as a kid, you don't know, you don't know the difference, right? You just know your reality. And, um, you know, my father worked uh, two jobs, uh, six days a week. His luxury on Sundays, which would be his day off, his luxury was he, he wanted to read the Sunday New York Daily News with his cup of coffee. And uh, my brother and I would be the ones to go down to the local bodega to uh, take our 50 cents, buy a, a paper, also use the change to get some candy and bring the paper back home. Well, one day we're, uh, we're going off to get the paper and we're mugged by a, a, a teenager. Uh, you know, and my, my brother and I, you know, we're probably, you know, four and six or five and seven at the time. And we were pretty tough kids, but we weren't going to, you know, uh, push back on a teenager trying to steal our money. Um, we give him the 50 cents. We go back home, uh, tell my mom this story, and she's incensed. She's absolutely incensed. She marches us back to the bodega. The, the kids are still there. They take off running. She takes off running after them. We run after our mother. So, you know, imagine this picture, you know, two teenagers running down the street, you know, a, a 30 year old uh, woman, her two young kids. And, you know, they finally stop in front of a different building. There's a group of men there. And these men are, you know, wondering what's going on. And my mother in her broken English says, you know, these boys, stole money from my kids. And of course they deny it. And, you know, in the end, the, you know, meanest looking uh, of, of the, the men around this building, you know, confronts these teenagers and says, give me the money uh, and gives them, uh, you know, the kids give them the two quarters. The man gives my mother the two quarters and we leave. So what's the so what of the story? The, the so what of the story is, you know, having a fundamental belief 
in always doing what's right, right? Always doing what's right, uh, confronting, you know, any injustice, you know, and, and that was foundational for me. At four years old, seeing my mother stand up to these teenagers, standing up to these men, demanding her 50 cents back because it was the right thing to do. And, and it, it's a story that really has struck with me whether it's in my personal life, whether it's in my business life, you always have to do the right thing. Mm. Thank goodness for strong mamas and strong exactly. parents. Exactly. And strong parents in general. Well, Reggie, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, Disrupting the Game is at all major real, uh, retailers. You can also find it on Amazon. I will certainly be purchasing a copy because uh, a business memoir, sign me up. I'm trying to learn as many gems of wisdom as possible. So Reggie, thank you. Thank you again. Wishing you so much success uh, in your future endeavors. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast.